So is the alarm on that car in the parking lot being picked up by the uh, microphones in our podcast? I can hear it in my headphones, so yes. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, did it stop? There was a lady who couldn't figure it out. It's kind of hard to watch. <laughs> she tried to figure it out. She was Welcome to Coffee, Rants, and All Things Christian with the Parkview Pastors. My name is David Harris, and joining me as always is Daniel Morris, John Seth Sammons, we in here. Skyler Teal, nope. and Mike Tatum. I brought in a coffee today that I ordered. Um, I think they're based like either in Atlanta, Georgia, or just north of that. It's called Valor Coffee. This is their Ethiopia Orca Sakaro Anaerobic Natural, and that is a mouthful. What kind of spell did you just put on us? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, I will talk about the notes that they put on the bag here in a second, but we'll we'll try it and see what we think. It smells amazing, by the way. I don't get a lot of it's coffee fine. taste. A lot of co- there's not a lot of to me. There's it's not a lot of flavor. very light bodied to me. Yeah, it's not a lot of flavor to it. I will say I mean, this: it's good, but it's just not. When it cools down, it tastes different than what it does right now. I, I have made this. I've made this at my house, and uh, I've tried it like. When it's this hot and right. as it cools down, I'm just, I'm going to be curious to see what you guys think as it kind of cools. I'm going to go get bit. my ember mug so I know when it's set at one thirty. <laughs> it is still a little bit hot. It is hot. It's very hot. Yeah. Uh, already good though. Yeah, yeah. John Seth was saying before I hit record that it smelled like very. I don't know. Very sweet. Very fruity. Yeah, you get a lot of the fruit fruit uh, smell. Yeah, I I picked up a an aroma of cinnamon, but I don't. I don't pick that up in the flavor at all. No, so I mean neither. I'm gonna let it cool down before I get. Yeah, I'm gonna have to let it cool down too, because yeah. to me it just it just kind of uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of body to it. Yep. I don't know if that's the right. To me, sometimes certain coffees can almost not necessarily the taste as much, but they can feel more like a hot tea feels. If that yes. makes sense. Yeah, that's this, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So I'm hoping as it cools down. You can get Some more of the richness of, the, of the, yeah. the flavor of the coffee will come through. Yeah. Where did you get it from? Did you I ordered it. Okay. I ordered it online, yeah. But I think they're in Atlanta. Cool. Well, we'll dive into our banter topic, and if we have random thoughts about the coffee, we'll just kind of throw it out there as we go. See, the note, you, you did, were you going to go over the notes later? or, or We'll do it now. now. Good no, point. I mean, no, we can wait. I just, I just looked at them and realized... <laughs> I don't get any. Of yeah, right. <laughs> so I was going to say. I might get the first one. I do get a little bit of the first one. Now right. that it says it, that You're could be what like, I okay, yeah, that, yeah. 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 So the smell, especially for me, that the, is that, the is that right? Juice. Yeah. I was going to say, if there's a, if there's a week where the, the tasting notes are really out there, this would be the, the week because they, they write grape juice, watermelon candy, and Amaro. Well, see, that was that was going to be my question: was is this is this Catholic grape juice or Baptist grape juice? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, moving into the banter topic, um, this one was form submitted as well. It's just kind of a list. Are these like lightning rounds? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> just needed an excuse. Needed an excuse. Sure. Yep. I don't know what that was. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just going to preface this whole conversation with the fact that some of these may need a Mount Rushmore discussion. I know. I, yeah. yeah. I knew that you're was coming. Wrong. I knew that was coming. Okay. Yeah, you're not wrong. So the question is, what is your all-time favorite? And there's a list. The first one is, what is your all-time favorite album? Dang. That's hard. I think I can narrow this down. Oh, man. That's really tough for me. I'm gonna need a minute. That's favorite album. Um, Mount Rushmore <laughs> is gonna be 
I can't decide between Boston, the original, or Boston, don't look back. So I, let's go with uh, Boston, don't look back. Um, what are albums? <laughs> yeah. what it's like an EP, album? but that those, those things you put pictures in. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm running. I mean, I, we, <laughs> I saw the Eagles play the entire Hotel California album live. Yeah. Oh, wow. gosh, uh, so yeah. that's got to be Mount Rushmore, so Hotel crazy. California. Yeah. Um, I can definitely tell you what my most listened to album of all time is, which is, uh, you guys may not have heard of them. They're called The Brothers Landreth, and they have an album called Let It Lie. Uh, it's one of those albums where like every song is amazing. Yeah. Because most albums have like two or three really mm-hmm. good songs. The rest are like, okay. Right. To me, this one is like right. almost a perfect album. Yeah. That's my most listened to, but my f- favorite might be um, King, King's Kaleidoscope's first album. Becoming Who We Are by King's Glasgow might be my favorite. I've got two. I don't have a Mount Rushmore, but I do have two. My favorite album of all time is probably Zeal by King's Kaleidoscope. From start to finish, that song, that album just resonates really well. But From a Room Volume 1, Chris Stapleton mm. is, a, is my second. That's a great album. That I can. It, volume 2 is, is close, but it's not like an all-time favorite for yeah. me. But yeah. Volume 1 is amazing. You see, when I think of great albums, I, 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 I tend to think in terms of albums that have uh, the, the most, the majority of the songs could all be singles, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. yeah. Because there are a lot of albums out there that I really like, but when I think about it, I really only like two or three of the songs that are on that that's album. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, why, that's why I'm going in the direction that I'm going. I'm going to go with, with a group like Boston – or a group like the Eagles, or a group even like my my classic rock is coming out of me, like Def Leppard. Almost <clears throat> everything they put out is just and and to a certain extent ACDC uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but a lot of that too is repetitive. I mean, if you listen to just if if you pulled out all of the music in an ACDC album, the soundtrack, the the drum riff is going to be about the same in every song. You, right. you know, so there's. The reason it's successful, the reason the album is good, is because it's it's almost a formula that says we're we're not going to deviate too far from this this particular kind of formula. And the songs they're not going to sound exactly the same, but they're going to have basic they're they're going to be basically the same. Yeah. And, uh, and and so so when I that that's that's where my struggle is it, right now, trying to figure out the best what the best overall album would. Is be. Is there today. a difference between like our all time favorite album and the greatest album? I have an opinion on the closest to a perfect album ever to me is John Mayer's Continuum, where every single oh, song, that's a great like album. every single song is legendary on that album. Now, that's it's not my personal album. favorite because of my preferences. I love it, but it's not like but my it's not your favorite. Genre, genre, so I right. do think that every single song is like almost like a perfect song. Yeah. There. So when you're, when you're coming up with your all-time favorite, you're thinking, what is the all-time great album that I've listened to? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What, I was just what, I was what, just wondering if there's yeah. a like oh. a consensus of like there's like great albums right. like a ball like those right. or an ACDC right. thing. And, and that's I didn't know if, if time, where yeah. you in your mind if you were just going there or yeah. determining your favorite your all time favorite or if there's like a category mm-hmm. that's like no 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 what is the greatest album of all time? Yeah, I, I didn't know if that's where if there was a difference. Right. I can't. I'm not. I don't. 
I can't think of like albums. Right. I just think of like artists. Artists. Right. It, to right. me, it's so easier with artists. I might as be well. alone. I mean, like, I'm sure like Michael Jackson has a good album mm-hmm. out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That he has, has cool. a lot of really good songs. Purple Rain. No, Prince, yes. man. Gosh, yeah, Purple absolutely. Rain. That's Purple an Rain is a great album. album. Okay, maybe I do have a Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah. You, the That's more you talk about there. it, the more it, it yeah. starts to come to you. Yeah. I was thinking more in terms of like if I had to go live on an island by myself, what would the album what be? The al- and it would be Kings Becoming Who We Are because yeah. the Burroughs Landreth one I mentioned might be at equals, but I would want like the message to be more life giving. <laughs> so like I'll probably go with the Kings. For some reason, that's where my mind went to. Like if I were to only be able to listen to this album for the rest of my life, I would want it to be Zeal. Okay, mm-hmm. that that's a good good way to look at it. Journey, Journey, yeah. Uh, uh, which album? Don't stop believing. Mm-hmm. Is that the name of the album? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. To 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 be truthful, I love when they compile greatest hits. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, That's a good thought. I think know. my favorite. Okay. So all time so, favorite yeah. hits album right. is Zach Brown Band's Greatest Hits. Okay. That album is fire. I'm yeah. with you. Now, as far as single albums by a particular artist, you know, I like I like the the uh, uh, the Beatles' Let It Be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is, is really good. good. Oh, guys, I've made a big mistake. I forgot one of my all-time favorite. I was thinking in the jazz world, Mood Swing by Joshua Redman is my favorite jazz record of all time. Oh, nice. So if we were doing Mount Rushmore, that would be it. I have completed my Mount Rushmore. Okay. Let's hear I totally it. forgot about this. In Between Dreams by Jack Johnson. This album is... that is, the yellow one? Yes, with okay. the tree. Yep. That album is phenomenal. Yeah. Fictional book series. Harry Potter. All-time favorite fiction book series. Tough choice for me. Lord of the Rings, I think. Just the just the trilogy plot. Like maybe maybe add the Hobbit on there, but like not all the other stuff. Yeah, mine's probably Harry Potter as well. Chronicles of Narnia. It's okay to be wrong. No. That's fine. I, I'm not saying the that's Hardy my boys. favorite. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> hey, don't knock on the Hardy Boys. Hey, I'm not knocking on the Hardy Boys. I read all those. Books. <laughs> me too, man. Those books are great. I, I don't know that I've ever read a fictional book series Ooh, like actual- all the way through. Yeah. Did, uh, did you yeah. read Narnia all the way through? No, no. That's why okay. I was just throwing that out there because yeah. that that is some of the predominant, right? Well, I just, I just want to throw that out there so I could be included. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I just I I don't know that I because <laughs> why read the book when you can watch the, the movies? <laughs> um, I just I I don't I've read authors yeah. and genres and I've read fiction. But I don't know that I've ever I've never read Lord of the Rings. Um, I've not read through Harry Potter. I've not read the entirety of Chronicles of Narnia. I've read a lot of yeah. C.S. Lewis, um, but I, I don't. I just haven't read through book series like that, so I don't. Yeah. I don't really have an answer. Yeah, Andrew yeah. Peterson's Wingfeather Saga is real high on my list too. I'm starting that this summer. Kids, if we're talking like like kids books, I'm mm-hmm. excited about Harry Potter's that. great. Uh, but I, like reading with my kids, they haven't enjoyed anything like they did the Wingfeather Saga. Wow, that's awesome. Good author, too. He does a lot of good stuff. Yes, he does. <laughs> so, what about movie series? Easy. Yeah. Dark Knight. Yep. I knew that you were going there. Marvel. Is that I, guess, a, I guess that counts. It's a movie series. Yeah. Isn't it? But but when you say Marvel, you're talking like multiverse. Like the first, like the Avengers. But because there are Marvel movies that aren't a part of that series. Yeah. The movie series. The Thanos Villain. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, More. I, understand I, I know yep. what you're. I know what yeah. you're saying, but, yeah. but I think. Okay. Yeah, the Thanos. We're watching through those again. 
right now, and I forgot how awesome they were. Yeah. It's fun to watch them from the beginning. Yeah. Star Wars, easy. Yeah, I think I'd have to say Star Wars. Probably Harry Potter. <laughs> I have to, I have to withdraw that answer. I'm obligated to say Star Wars now that I have a tattoo of Star Wars on my heart. <laughs> it is in the contract, so Star Wars. <laughs> in reality, though, I would watch Star Wars over Marvel, so I would have to retract my answer and say Star Wars. I will, I will say this, reading back through Harry Potter, and kind of, we're watching the movies as we go, so we'll read the book and then watch the movie with them. Uh, those movies need to be... Like they need to split all of those up. They skip. Wait, which ones? The Harry Potter. Oh, Potter. Yeah. They skip. Yeah, they, they skip do. so much. Yes, content. they do. Yeah. By necessity, like you know. Yeah. Let's <laughs> g- give us give us a Netflix series for the next ten years. That would be uh, insane. Harry Potter. That'd be better. That'd be amazing. I would love that. What about a TV series? Easy. Avatar: The Last Airbender. There's no show greater. Jack Bauer, twenty four. Ooh, not not great at Avatar, one. but that show is amazing. It's the best. Good one. Does uh, Big Bang Theory count as a TV yes, series? Yes, it does. Okay, yes, it does. Yep. there we go. I know. I'm kidding myself if I don't say the office. You are the office because <laughs> that's like that's my show. I don't know. I'm having a hard time here. You, I'm surprised you're not saying like Clone Wars or something. Look, that's high on the list. I'm yeah. trying to decide. Sorry, it's too hard. I can't picture. It's all good. We'll we'll move on. Mu- uh, music genre. It has to be like a vague genre that has a bunch of subgenres because for me it'd be jazz, but that doesn't just mean like what your mind right. goes to when you think jazz. Like, KG. Except smooth jazz, just that subcategory can just die. <laughs> but every every other kind of jazz. Rock. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. Yeah. Rock has a lot of yes, it does. To it, so we'll just go with that then. If you want, if you want to stay ambiguous, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll uh, join you on that one. Okay. Folk. Nice. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite genre. Obviously, country doesn't surprise me. me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I would go with rock. Mm. rock. Nice. What? What about book genre? Fantasy for me. Uh, I would say. Can I say two? <laughs> Just go yes, for it. Because like, I'm about to. Like action or horror. Nice. Because my, Ooh, my, like favorite, King my favorite stuff? authors have been in the past Tom Clancy and Stephen King. Nice. And I've read a lot of their their work now i'm actually into the 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 jack reacher series mm. uh, there's there's oh, nice. a, as many jack reacher books as there were jack ryan books so yeah hmm. book genre by fantasy yeah that'll be mine too um because like i'm reading through all those with my kids yeah uh but i also love biographies mm. yeah I try to read at least one biography a year mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Yeah, that would probably be a good practice. Yeah, I have not done that in the past, but yeah, I started and now it's on my my summer list to finish. Mm-hmm. Is the, uh, uh, the biography of John Adams? Yeah, I it's something that I aspire to is something like a Jack Reacher book because I have a lot of those books, mm-hmm. but I've never started them. I know they they Don't seem really time. intriguing to me. Right. I'm really bad at reading fiction though, so that's always something that I. Uh, would like to do better at yeah. for sure. Yeah, especially when you're when uh, you're knee deep in theological studies right. and those kind of things. You don't have a lot of time for just casual reading. Yeah. Um. So if you're going to do that, it, it's going to cut into some Netflix right. time or or some other yeah. other area of, of time. Yeah. So the biography that I was wanted to read this year was Why the Devil Has All the Good Music. Good, good book. Great biography. Yeah. Um. Trying to get think of the guy's name. Uh, Norman's, yes, um, Gregory uh, Thornberry. <clears throat> yeah, Greg Thornberry. Thank you. 
Uh, what's the book with Spurgeon and Thomas Watson? Steal Away Home. Steal Away Home. That's, that, about that's the one I'll really probably cool. start with. That's that was on, amazing. Yeah, that's on my that's list. Really so if, you you're want, gonna, if you're going to recommend a, a biography of Spurgeon, <clears throat> Steal Away Home would be the one to your first go to. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's probably a lot out there. That was a good one. But, but a good intro. Know, so like if, if somebody's like, like here's the name Spurgeon, not really that familiar with with maybe some of the theology or what his life was like or what he what he did, did what his contributions. Um, I don't know if I would recommend that one. It doesn't really cover like theology stuff oh, all okay. that much. It's really more of his story and yeah. how he met this this uh, this other guy and their mm-hmm. relationship all the way to Spurgeon's death. Oh, oh wow. okay. okay, yeah, yeah. It's it's a more pointed biography. Anybody? Uh, were you? Did you have another thought on the biography thing, Daniel? No, I was going to skip back to the coffee. That's what I was about to do as well. Really good. It is really good. Yeah. It's cool. If if there was, I've never really had like a fruit tea. But if that existed, this is what this is what that would make me think of. Like this is super light bodied. It's juicy and fruity and kind of sweet to me. Yeah, it's really good. I I was <laughs> drinking it as we've been talking and didn't realize I was that. I mean, it's just really smooth. Right, it's really smooth and it's a good flavor. Yeah, dude, this coffee's good, man. I think the grape juice wins out for me. As far as, as these the three. notes, yeah. like I feel like it, it tastes a lot like grape juice. I think I got that in the smell. More than, mm, I don't know, I guess I could, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Who am I kidding? What am I talking about? These are, things I would not, <laughs> these are things I would not come up with on my own. No, like, if this no. wasn't here, obviously, I wouldn't be like, oh, this tastes like grape juice. There's but, definitely not watermelon candy. No, right. and that's why I said, like, they're very out there. The, no. So the smell, though, I smelled something sweeter than I tasted. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I wouldn't say watermelon candy, though, which notes are just made up anyways. Yeah. Subjective. Yeah. Stupid. But it's in in that vein or whatever. So anyway, it's really good. Um my buddy I have a buddy that lives in Atlanta, it's his favorite coffee shop. So if you're ever driving on I seventy five north and you want to stop and make like a long trip out of the way to go to a coffee shop, Valor would be the one to do that. It's not close to I seventy five. I don't think so. (laughs) But I'm one of those weird people that will go like way off the beaten path. Yeah. Sometimes, not all the time. We're going to move into our doctrine topic for the for today, and we're going to talk about the doctrine of justification. Again, as always, we're going to talk about the doctrine itself and then how it applies to our lives. Yeah, the when we talk about the doctrine of, of justification, we're really talking uh, about one aspect of an overall doctrine of salvation. Uh, Baptists speak often about salvation and and being saved or getting saved. We like to point back to that moment when we embraced the cross or we placed our trust in Christ. Um, but, but really what's happening in that moment is this is, is that when we trust in Christ uh, in his finished work on the cross, when we come to the realization that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot justify ourselves. We cannot put ourselves in a right standing with God, because that's really what justification is, is being made right with God, being reconciled to God. And when we realize that we can't do that, we trust in the finished work of Christ and his cross. We are then justified. In other words, God declares us by our status in Christ to be justified before him. Our sins are no longer held uh, against us. Uh, the, The penalty for those sins has been paid. We are then freed from the penalty of sin, which the Bible says is death. And so the, the first step or the first idea of, 
a multidimensional view of salvation, which we all must have, which we all must develop. It's not just one point in our past where we are justified, but it is kind of the first, the first aspect and first step of the realization of our salvation. And that is to be justified. And the only way that we are justified is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, so that's the, the importance of the doctrine of justification is that, uh, Everything else about our salvation, uh, all of the other aspects of our salvation rest and fall on what we believe about justification. And then because our sanctification, how we view life, how we, how we view our maintenance in the covenant is going to be determined often by how we view our entrance into that covenant. Um, and so, so we need to talk about the doc- doctrine of justification because it really is what created uh, this thing called the Reformation, um, a shift in the doctrine of just uh, of, of an understanding of the doctrine of justification is what separates Catholicism from Protestantism. Um, and then again, out of that doctrine flows the differences between what uh, what we believe about sanctification and then ultimately what we believe about about glorification, be glorified, which are the other aspects of salvation. But we want to just kind of focus in and zero in on the doctrine of justification uh, today and then understand, as David said, the impact of that on our lives. Because so often, I think, I think too often we get involved in these abstract discussions of theology and doctrine. And we think that those are, uh, those should only be relegated to classroom environments that they're great to talk about and pick apart in a seminary. But then we kind of lose, uh, lose what it means to, to live this doctrine out in the real world. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful uh, for, for this book that we've been talking about, this book that we've been going through by Paul Tripp called Do You Believe? Um, that he separates the doctrinal discussion uh, from the, the application discussion, but how the two are so, uh, are so integrated um, that, that it just kind of flows very naturally uh, in dealing with, with these two chapters at a time. And, I'm, and I'm, I want us to get through the, the meat of what justification means um, and I want us to do that with some intentionality, but I'm really, really wanting to push to get to that application side of things, because that's, that's really where, uh, where we kind of nail down what this means for us and what that, what this means for us as we live out our lives each and every day. So how, how we did, how, how our relationships are played out, uh, how our work environment is understood, how our marriages are understood, how we raise our children, all of that is affected by this particular doctrine, what we understand it, uh, about it, yeah, and what, what we believe to be true. I love the way he begins the doctrine chapter talking about something that we often forget that blood and gore yes. was just a part of everyday life in historic Israel. Um, that's something that we don't, we don't live that way. We don't live in that world today, but back then they knew it was in front of them all the time that yeah. they could not be made right with God unless there was a blood sacrifice made on their behalf. Right. Um, and so every day it was, I love what he brings yeah. out. It was a reminder um, again, that they need to do that, but also that it was temporary. Uh, right. I, I love that because it, it kind of like begs for something greater that can be once and for all. And for them, that blood and gore daily pointed to one day there would be one that would die. That was so perfect that, that it wouldn't have to happen. Wouldn't have to happen anymore. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, um, uh, I was gonna say, I love the way that he, he pulls in the sacrificial system yes. from yes. the Pentateuch. That's yeah. just every drop of animal blood, every step of the priest. 
uh, every bleat of the animal as it was being slaughtered, right. all of those are a cry for a better sacrifice. Yes. yes. Because yeah. in so our good. minds, we don't live so in that good. world. We don't come from that world. So we read through the Pentateuch. We read through the, the, the laws. We read Exodus and then Leviticus and Numbers, and we see that happening. But we can't really get our minds around what it's like to try to, to, to chop up a bull yeah. and get it onto an altar mm-hmm. and burn it. And, and how that's a daily thing and the amount of blood and gore and everything else. It, it's the same way we read uh, the story in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve, uh, you know, they rebel against, uh, against God. They try to they, – they, they, they are convinced that they can redefine their own reality, that they can create their own morality, that they can go off and do their thing and live as, as uh, a, a sovereign, independent, autonomous lives apart from God. Um, but the but the first thing you see in that process is they're hiding from God once the, their eyes are are supposedly opened to all all of this uh, the knowledge of good and evil. So they're hiding from God, and, and one of the things that God does, and God has to do this. They would have no idea to do this on their own. Um, they are co- they are exposed now. They are uncovered. Mm-hmm. Um, they realize their nakedness. In other words, they realize their rebellion and their sin. Their first reaction is to hide. Yep. And, and that's what we do too. We, in our, in our, we hide and we hide behind different things. We might not be hiding behind a tree in a garden, but we're hiding behind self-righteousness. We're hiding our sin behind pride. We're hiding our sin behind atheism. We're hiding our sin behind this addiction. We're hiding our sin behind this fantasy. And so we get ourselves involved in all of these things and we, we work to hide from God. And what does God come along and do? He says, that's, that's not going to happen because I'm everywhere. I know your heart. You, you can hide behind anything you want. I know exactly where you are and I know exactly what you're thinking. So God takes the initiative in the garden mm-hmm. to do something that Adam and Eve could not do for themselves. And that is to cover them and cover their sin. Mm-hmm. And so, so how does he do that? He grabs an animal and he slaughters the animal. And I can only imagine the horror because I'm, I'm pretty sure up to that point, Adam and Eve thought, you know what? We did something really bad, but we don't know the extent of what we did mm. until they hear that animal cry out in its last breath and see the blood everywhere as God kills this animal to create skins that will cover Adam and Eve's sin. Mm. I, I would venture to say in that moment... Because again, up to this point, we, we lose a lot on the trend. Up to this point, they had no idea what death was, had never experienced it, wasn't even a concept. And then all of a sudden they see what it is and they realize, wow, what we just did has some serious, serious implications. Um, and it's, and, and from that point on, the relationship between fallen humans defiled by sin, and a completely holy God, the only way that relationship could ever take place is through this sacrificial system. And it has to be a sacrificial system that is entered into with the understanding that only by faith do I realize that this sacrifice is doing anything. Because it wasn't even it wasn't just the sacrifice. Right. It was a sacrifice offered by faith, which is why when you get to Genesis 4, you see the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain's was not a sacrifice of faith. Cain's was a sacrifice of works. Hey, look what I've produced. Look what I've, I've done. And I'm going to give this to God as my gift to him. And what Abel does is he brings a, an honorable sacrifice, one 
the shed blood of a lamb. And, and he presents that to God, not as his gift to God, but as his offering of what was God's back to God. And, and so there's a difference in those things. And the difference, according to the book of Hebrews, is that Abel approached God in faith Cain approached God and works. And so when we talk about the, God, the, the doctrine of justification, what shifted in that reformation was this idea that we could walk through, um, uh, religious ritual. We could, uh, do certain things and we can behave certain ways and we'll be okay. Uh, we'll be right with God. But if, and, and that could be done completely independently of, of even knowing what Christ did at the cross. It was all based and rooted in what Christ did at the cross, but people could blindly walk through that without ever having any knowledge of, of the, of the need for, for faith and repentance, um, or any knowledge of their sin. They just figured this is something that we have to add to our lives so that later on when we die, we'll be okay. And and my fear is that there's a lot of folks that still live like that today. The default place of death in our culture is heaven. If there is such a thing, Mm. Um, and, and, and so why would we need to be justified? What are we being saved from? You can't possibly believe that there is a, an eternal place of torment called hell that the, the Bible teaches about. So, so if, if you don't believe that, then you don't, you have no reason for the doctrine of justification. And, and so, so we've shifted though in the reformation from this, this just wrote religious ritual into, Hey, the just, those who are justified will live by faith. And so we're into the covenant by faith, and that we're maintained in that covenant by faith. In other words, the doctrine of justification frees us from the burden of performance. Because the bottom line is we could never perform well enough on our own. Adam and Eve couldn't do it on their own. It took God's initiative. Uh, we can't do it on our own. It makes God, it takes God's initiative in, in Christ. So God sacrificed that first animal to begin the process of covering sin or atoning for sin, and he ends that sacrifice once and for all in the sacrifice of the most perfect being. And that is his son, Jesus. Mm. And, and so, so that, and, and, and again, justification points us to the finished work of Christ and his cross ultimately. So, so I love the way trip walks through the, the gore and the gruesomeness of the sacrificial system, because one, it teaches us the seriousness of sin but two, it points us to the suffering of our Savior uh, and what he had to go through. And the, we can't imagine what it would have looked like for Christ to walk that way of suffering um, and not even be recognizable as a man according to the scriptures. Mm. Uh, the, the amount of suffering and, and gore and blood that was just flowing from his body even before he got to the cross was probably just a horrible sight to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you didn't know if your sin was a serious thing before a holy God, look to the sacrificial system and you'll see it. Mm-hmm. And you'll see the need for justification uh, that can only come from God. And we, we talk about that. We talked about that in, in, in our Reformation series. Uh, you know, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Um, that, is our, that is our doctrine of justification uh, right there. Um, so yeah, I, I think he does a, a good job of of beginning this discussion from the framework of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. The uh, there were a couple of things: uh, doctrine of justification. Uh, 
again, is the entranceway into salvation. We have to understand uh, what that was. Now, uh, I, I do want to provide some, some clarifying points, and we don't need, there is so much in here that we can agree on. I don't want to get bogged down in some of the, some of the nuances of disagreement uh, yeah. uh, among Christians. Um, but some folks might be reading this book along, because I know we've had some readers that have said they've, they bought the book, they've ordered it, so they're kind of reading along with us. Um, and, and there are just a couple of statements that Paul Tripp makes that I think we can interpret in other ways. I'm not saying that he's wrong, but I'm, I'm saying that there's, there's room for interpretation in, in other ways. For instance, um, in the, the very second page of, of, the, of his chapter here on page 306, he writes this, from eternity, it has been God's good pleasure to justify those who are chosen. Uh, and I get that. I understand what he's saying, and I know the framework that he's coming from. There is a, a framework that says, um, and can be scripturally uh, sound and, and backed up, that from the, the foundations of the earth, we know that, that, um, that God has chosen to save. And so there is a framework that says that God... Uh, applies that salvation to certain individuals as he pleases. Um, and, and again, I get that. I understand that. I'm not going to break fellowship over, over a different understanding. Um, I, I think, though, that a more uh, traditional way of saying something like that, uh, that because that is clearly uh, coming from a, a Reformed bent. Right. Um, but I would, I would tend to say that from eternity— it has been God's good pleasure to justify those who are in Christ. Um, now you say, well, you're kind of splitting hairs. Well, I think that I think that it's saying the same thing, but I think that's coming from a different background, and there's a little bit of, uh, of a different nuance there, um, because a reformed view will extend election uh, to each individual. Uh, I think saying that God chose them to salvation. Now, now hear me when I say this, if we are saved, it's because God chose to save us. But I don't say that um, in order to, there's, there's, in that statement, there's no inference that there are some who were created uh, to not be saved. Um, and uh, because I reject any idea, any notion that, that God created some to salvation and he created some to condemnation. Um, and, and so, uh, b- because it, it's, it's difficult for, for me to wrap my, my mind around that. I don't think it's unreasonable, though, given the entirety of Scripture, not just Ephesians, uh, where a lot of, this, a lot of that, that step process comes out of uh, in, Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 1. Um, but but I, I don't think it's unreasonable to just say that God chose to save um, and, and then leave it at that and to... And to uh, extend that into creation through Christ. In other words, we are elected, we are chosen, but we are chosen not in our own choosing, our own individual choosing. We are chosen in the choosing of Christ. Christ is God's elect. Therefore, anyone who is identified in Christ becomes a part of that elect. Now, here's what we'll all agree on. The way we are in Christ is through faith and repentance. Right. So, so uh, again, we might come at it from a different framework, a different timing, a different understanding of, of, of how we work back logically into the mind of God. Um, but, but again, I, I will reject uh, any implication that God chose some people to be condemned. Because in the entirety of Scripture, I do think that we see repeatedly that, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Um, and, and so there would be a conflict in his own will if he created some people to condemnation, but then over here said, hey, I want everybody to be saved. Um, and, and, I, and I know that a reformed person could come on and probably argue that and argue it well. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying a more traditional um, uh, non-reformed view would be to say that our election is in Christ. And so when by faith and repentance we come to Christ, we become a part of the elect, uh, not because God chose us, but because God chose Christ to save us. Um, and that is the argument that Keith Lee makes in, uh, in his, uh, uh, in his book on salvation and sovereignty. Um, that's the argument that he makes in his, his section in, uh, Danny Aiken's theology of the church is that, that our salvation is wrapped up, not necessarily in individual election, uh, or individual choosing, but, but in our position in Christ. And, and I think, again, we'll all agree that our position in Christ comes through faith and repentance. Um, it comes through the identification with Christ in our, we, we identify with him in his death, Romans 6, in his burial. Uh, and then we identify with him in his resurrection, um, which is the rest of the, the Pauline letters. You know, we, we identify in, and that's why I've said, you know, time and again, that the most important thing that we can understand, and, and this is where Tripp actually goes. He does a great section in here on what it means to be in Christ. And that being in Christ is what drives uh, everything about the application. Um, so, so again, we don't we don't want to create uh, discord in how we in the processes leading up to being in Christ. Justification puts us in Christ, regardless of our our regardless of the order of of how we see things happening. Whether we think that regeneration comes first and then. Faith and repentance comes to conversion, or if faith and repentance allows us to be regenerated and converted simultaneously, mm-hmm. um, and so so that's kind of kind of where we are. That's where I am, right? Uh, and I know that that there are uh, there are others that that approach this a little, a little bit more of a reformed bent. And again, I'm I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. I don't, I think there's plenty of room in Scripture, certainly plenty of room in the Baptist faith and message and its and its understanding of salvation for all of us to be able to work together for the glory of Christ. So we don't want this to create any kind of uh, division. Um, and, and, and because the, the bottom line is whether you're, whether you come from a, a reformed bent or a more traditional bent, um, we all agree that there is this thing called the elect and we all agree that we get into the elect through faith and repentance. Right. Uh, I mean, without faith and repentance, because God not only ordains those to salvation, but he ordains the means to salvation as well. That's why a true biblical Calvinist will, will include evangelism and missions in his in his or her theology of, of salvation, yeah. uh, because we don't just talk about being saved. We talk about how we get there and how we get there is through the hearing of God's word and by faith and repentance. So that, I just, I just, there, there was just like two sentences in here that again, if you're, you're reading it, some of you will read it and say, yeah, that's great. I believe that because that's kind of the bent that I'm coming from. Others might read it and say, you know what? I just can't buy into that. That I, I just want to say, that's okay. It's okay. If you, if you can't, there are, alternative explanations uh, to, to that. There are alternative ways that we can reconcile some of these scriptures. So yeah. just wanted to kind of throw that out there as we get into what we will agree on completely in the rest of the doctrine right. of justification. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up too. Um, if, you, if we could talk about the ins and outs of all that stuff all right. day and it would, you know, it'd take forever. It's a conversation that's been going on for, for a really long time. And, uh, but I, I like um, in here in the, in the doctrine series, before we move on to the application part, I love the picture he puts of what it looks like for, I would say both unbelievers and believers at times when we try to like either be made right with God by our own works or 
earn more favor with God. Like as Christians, I feel like we might even have this tendency. Uh, he says, picture a gym with, I think it's like 40 foot high, a 40 yes. foot high ceiling. Um, and, and the person going to that gym decides like, you know what? My goal is I want to be able to jump and touch that ceiling. And so he goes, he goes in there like really hopeful and really, you know, like I'm going to do this jumps high, like, you know, humans can't jump that high. So he just looks ridiculous. And everyone around him is thinking like this dude's out of his mind. Why is he even doing this kind of a thing? And the longer the person goes trying to jump higher and higher, the, the lower his jumps get and, and all of these things. And that's, you know, that's a ridiculous picture. Like why would it, someone even do that? But that's us when we try to earn our own justification to try to be made right with God in our own works. And again, I say Christians as well as because yeah. sometimes when we fail God, we have this tendency to be like, Oh, I messed up. Now I really need to do this or this or yeah, this to try to, to get back in or whatever. And it's just ridiculous because Christ's work was final and that's why we're made right with God. That's why, um, we have a relationship with him. So we look ridiculous, even as Christians, when we try to earn our way back to God by doing good things for him, as if God needs us to, to do those things for us right. to be justified. It's just, I like that picture a lot yeah. because yeah. we think of sin as missing the mark, like on the target, but it's, it's actually, we look a lot more ridiculous right. than an archer just missing the mark. Like it's right. completely impossible to the point that we would look ridiculous trying yeah. to. Cause when we think of missing the mark, we think of a target with a bullseye and we might hit like three rings out. Exactly. But missing <laughs> the mark is you're not even hitting the target. Exactly. You're not even making it to the target. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. that's, that's kind of where yeah. it is. And speaking a little bit about being in Christ and union with Christ, he quotes another guy, Robert uh, Raymond in, in this chapter on the doctrine of, of justification. He says, Un- union with Christ is the fountainhead from which flows the Christian's every spiritual blessing, repentance and faith, pardon, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. I thought that was helpful, just thinking about our union with Christ and our identity right. being in Christ and the importance of those two words. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, for, for, for folks that are wondering why we even need to have this conversation, can it just be enough just to, to talk about salvation without breaking it up into different parts? Well, I, I don't think it is enough. Because the, the question that all of us are required to answer uh, is how in the world can a perfectly holy God have communion with constitutionally unholy people? Mm. And the, and justification answers that. Yeah. Um, and, and so that is the reason we process this doctrine of, of justification, because the doctrine of justification tells us how constitutionally unholy people can be made right yeah. with a perfectly holy God. Mm. Because if you think about it, that is the... That is the inherent problem in everything in this world is that we are constitutionally unholy people. Um, and the only way things will ever improve is if we come back into a right relationship with a completely holy God. And again, as we've already said, we are incapable of doing that for ourselves. Um, God has to take the initiative. God has to do the work. God has to seal the process. Um, and so in, in no way, shape or form is any aspect of our salvation, whether it's justification, you know, being made right or sanctification, having that rightness played out each and every day in our lives or glorification, standing before the a holy God in the, in the future, uh, in the fullness of his glory. Um, all of that is done by the same grace and the same faith that saves us. Um, so at no part in any aspect of our salvation is human effort ever mm-hmm. rewarded mm-hmm. because it's not based on performance. It's based on the grace of God. Yeah. Um, at some point here, he says, it's not like you got smart enough <laughs> and, and, and right. suddenly decided, oh, I'm so smart. I'm going to, 
I'm going to ask Jesus to save me. You know, it's right. not, it's not, right. it's not our, any merit on our part. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I like the statement that he, that he says on, 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 uh, after he quotes a, a whole bunch of, uh, scriptures, uh, that kind of, um, uh, talks about justifying work, uh, the justifying work of Christ, how Christ justifies us. He says there is simply no such thing as a Christian theology that doesn't have a clear understanding of the doctrine of justification at its core. Mm. And, and that's absolutely true. Um, be, be, how, how uh, the, the doctrine of justification, how we are made right with God is the, is the starting point for, for everything else. Would you say it's foundational? I, I would say it's foundational, Skyler. I think it's a foundational like doctrine. I know. Yes, I know. Yeah. It's this like, one's so important. If, if we're going to get any doctrine, we have to get this. And I think we've said that about every one of them. So, yeah. 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 It, it is foundational. So how does this impact us and how we live in every day? <clears throat> I'm learning more and more reading this book that, like, if we ever scoff when someone just tries to say, the gospel is what you need in this difficult circumstance of your life. Like we should never scoff at that saying that's an oversimplification because that really is the answer. Um, he talks about these, this couple with kind of a broken marriage and he says, as they're telling their story about all these issues they have, all he sees is gospel deficit throughout the whole thing. And man, if I look at my life, like where in my life, and I know it's in a lot of areas, like where in my life do I see Mm-hmm. where the gospel is not impacting the way that I do those things. So, I mean, right. justification is obviously like at the core of the gospel. And so that's kind of just where my right. mind goes with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, me and my, my sticky notes are throughout this, this book, because for whatever reason, I just still have not yet been able to bring myself to highlight or underline, but I did have a sticky note on this page on the opening page of this, of this chapter, chapter 18. And I said, <laughs> going back to it's just foundational. Yeah. I, I did say this though. If no other section is read, every married couple who claims to be Christians and living in a Christian marriage should read this chapter. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because because the the way he outlines how the doctrine of justification leads us uh, in our our treatment and our attitudes towards one another um, is is very clearly laid out in the context of of marriage. It can be applied in other areas and, and will be applied in other areas. But again, um, I mean, we see, we see divorce rates uh, among in Christendom at same levels as divorce rates in the world. Um, how can that be if we have a clear, if we have a clear understanding of the doctrine of justification yeah. and what our identity in Christ is? So I, I again, if, if you're, if you're, uh, married and you're wrestling, uh, in your in your marriage, if you're struggling in your marriage, if there's no joy left in it, uh, buy this book and just read that chapter, and and um, and then yeah. we hope that it would spark yeah. additional interest in further doctrines that would just impact. Or your even marriage. if your marriage is great, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, true. Like, that's true. Read this as a reinforcement. Yeah, like, I, like I, yeah. man, I, I think yeah. I know where Mike's going to go in some marital counseling. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, I know. He's like, listen, I have this book for you. Right. And and he even says it's not like you you he gave them a lecture on the doctrine yeah. of justification, but what you do is in the doctrine of justification, you work out how the grace of God impacts every area of your life or should impact every area of your life because the grace of God puts you in identity uh with Christ. Puts you in Christ. And and so if we are in Christ and we're trusting Christ 
to make us right with God and to sustain us in that rightness and then to glorify us in that rightness, then certainly that identity in Christ should dictate how we how we live out the Christian life in this world, how we not just love God and depend on him, but how we how we love others and treat them and honor them and respect them. He gives seven, I think it's seven Mm -hmm. words that capture the new lifestyle that is propelled by the doctrine of God's justifying grace. And every single, like all seven, the whole time, I'm just like, I've never put the doctrine of justification to these points. Right. I've never seen it that way before. It was very enlightening. It, I agree. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was like, it was amazing to read this. Yeah. And to be like, there are areas of my life where I'm like, the gospel even reaches that part. Yeah. The doctrine yeah. of justification even reaches that part. And this part, and this part. Right. Like, there were a lot of places that he went in this chapter that yeah. were really encouraging and hopeful for me. Right. To be like, dang, yeah. even there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I feel like this this character trait of humility, that's the first one he mentioned, always comes up in all of these. And yeah. again, it's just just recognizing what justification does is it, it makes us recognize I'm a I'm terrible. You know, like I, I am in need of a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I am in need of a savior. And that leads you to humility. He, I mean, you can't say your hope in life and death is justifying grace. And be proud and boastful at the same time. Right. Uh, pride crushes a believer's fruitfulness. Yeah. So when we think about the doctrine of justification, it leads you to humility. It leads you to right. live a humble life, um, knowing who you are. It's again recognizing who God is and who we are in light of that. It leads you to a life of humility. Right. Yeah. It points out. You said inability. Yeah. It doesn't just point out our inability to save ourselves. It points out our unwillingness. Yeah. To yeah. save ourselves, yeah. you know, Absolutely. so, so those two things kind of go hand in hand and, and the, and, and again, we, we tend to steer away, uh, often from concepts or discussions about things like justification, uh, because it's such a, it sounds like such a legal term and, and the truth is it is a legal term, mm-hmm. but it's a legal term that is used because, because, uh, it has everything to do with, with our uh, our status or our, uh, the, the position that we find ourselves in, yeah. in front of yeah. a holy God who is judge. Yeah. And, and so, and so Paul uses legal terms because in order for us to understand spiritual terms, those terms, spirituality has to be condescended into our language. And this is the best language that yeah. God decided to reveal himself in. And so justification, yes, it might be a legal term and can be used outside of that, but the, the principles of, of the overall understanding of justification are perfectly applied in, in, in the, in the Holy spirit. And I think that every time I've heard the doctrine of justification taught or preached, they stop at the legal positioning right. of our faith. Exactly. But what they don't do is they don't tell us what our new position looks like. And I think that's why this was so enlightening for me is it was like Paul Tripp finally went the next step that I hadn't received yet. Right. And it was like, here's what this new position means. Yeah. And that just wrecked me in the yeah. best way. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. Yeah. It's kind of like when we, when we prepare sermons and we're, we're writing sermons, we want to, yeah. we want to get in our sermons. We want to get um, a, a doc. We need to under, have a, a doctrinal, a good orthodox yeah. understanding of, of doctrine and gospel and all of that. So yeah. we, 
we, we get doctrine in there, but we always try to make sure that there is some application yeah. in, in that process. So, and, and sometimes, you know, we kind of, we kind of joke, like you preached a, a sermon, um, out of Mark and you gave three points of doctrine and then three points of application. And I'm always thrilled when I can like, when I can include doctrine and application all yeah. together and work through the process. And, and so if I'm, if I'm thinking through a topical sermon on justification, yeah. what, what we would do is we would hit justification, but not the legal. I wouldn't make the points, the legal points of what justification does. That would be a part of the sermon, yeah. but I would actually work in the doctrine of justification into justification leads us to humility. Justification leads us to all these seven. It would be a seven point sermon. Take me forever to preach, <laughs> but, but that's It'd exactly what it, I, I would, I would nail the doctrine. The doctrine would be hit time and time again, seven times as we work yeah. through the implications of that doctrine in our lives. Yeah, I think you got a sermon series, I, I, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> maybe, awesome. maybe seven weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how, how can you spend hey, a seven, on. how can you spend seven weeks talking about the just, the, the doctrine of justification? You apply it. Did yeah. we You'll just find our doctrine series? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. we just become best friends? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I would love it if Ooh, more incredible. conversations about justification didn't end up in what are all the ways we do disagree and right. more yes. seeing the beauty in, that we're seeing Amen. in these things. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Because either way you land on the spectrum. Right. We can all. Doctrine, yes. Yes. We both should agree that yes. this is the. This the is result. where we Absolutely. Yeah, that's correct. Where it should lead us. That's yeah, correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and that's what I said at the, the beginning of this is, is there is so much more that, that, um, under the Baptist faith and message where we have this, this kind of, um, uh, line, uh, a scale of where we fall as far as our overall soteriology. Um, we, we agree uh, on the big scale of thing with regard to application of what it means to be in Christ, we agree on 95% of the things yeah. that, that are out there. And, but, but you're right, David. So often we focus on the 5% of the things that we disagree with that we, we, we miss what God is actually trying to do yeah. uh, in his scripture for uh, a godly life that brings credibility to the gospel that we share. Um, and, yeah. and all of that stems from a, a good understanding uh, and a practical understanding of justification. Well, and I think that just for so long of getting the, theological aspect of the doctrine of justification. Yeah. Like I felt like the doctrine of justification was unlocked almost yes. in my mind to, to seeing how, but, and I'm still honest, I'm still processing right. this chapter because yeah, me too. I didn't realize like in, in full transparency, I didn't realize how much the doctrine of justification should be affecting me. That's correct. Me too. Um, and and not you. even just in, in the, because it, it felt like these chapters were split in like before Christ, after Christ uh, kind of thing. Because in the, in the middle, he bridges it with the in Christ part. Yeah. Right. But yeah. this, you know, even the seriousness of our sin, but then leading into this new life. Like, I just, I honestly just felt like I'm learning a whole new doctrine that I haven't learned before. Yeah. Because of the fact that it's just like, I feel like Paul Tripp fully taught yeah. the doctrine of justification. Yeah. In a way that I won't be able to see this doctrine any different, like any right. different after this. Right, exactly. Yeah, it encourages what Skyler said maybe the last podcast where you know theology, sh- good theology should always lead to doxology, but yeah. often certain certain aspects of theology lead to division, and that's like you're missing the whole point. That's been the whole point yeah. of this book. Yes. Is like, right. You're missing absolutely. the whole point yes. of theology. Right. Yes. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Dude, you've got the Theo Bros. Right. Who, like, I just man, you know, coming from a reform perspective. The, I've just been taught 
theological terms of these doctrines. Mm-hmm. But and, and Paul Tripp's coming from a reformed perspective as well. And like I just feel like he's fully teaching these. Yes. yes. And, and I know I know that steps, there, like you said. I know yeah. that there are other guys who do right. this. Yes. I know that. But it is just in a way that I've never I feel like, you know, the doctrines of grace to yeah. me are I'm now I'm just thinking back and like my right. mind is like what else have I missed right. on the right. application part of this? And 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 the same thing from a, a not a reform bent, but from a more traditional perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've thought enough wow. about this to even have to have the the, the material to apply it every day. Right. Yeah. I'm getting you know? bumps right now. Mm-hmm. So so I do think that there's a there's a healthy balance in, in sure, there. Yes. Uh, where some who have been so far out on the theological end need to be brought back into a practical Amen. end. Amen. And those who have been out on the other end of the non-theological end need to get some theology in them yeah. so that they can yeah. be brought back to center and application. So Amen. really, I, I, I agree. I think we're, I, I think that he, he, he is masterful at this. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Were you going to say something? Yeah. I have no idea, but how about gratitude? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That's probably the one <laughs> that yeah. I, I, um, Gravitated towards the yeah. Most. We are we are more prone to complaining than mm. we are to be. Yeah, you are so right. Pride yeah. makes it easier for you to complain than to give thanks. Yeah. How, about, how about this line? Gone are the days of I earned it, I deserve it, and I'll boast about yeah. it. Yeah, right. Gosh, yeah. right. You become grateful when you come to understand that who you are and what you have is not about what you have done, but what has been done for you. You are a receiver of this grace of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People who are grateful for God's redeeming love tend to be joyful people. You won't find much joy in complainers. Grateful people, remembering their own need of rescue, tend to be kind, compassionate, sympathetic, and understanding. Yeah, I I just, yeah, this gratitude section was was convicting and challenging, certainly. So so before he even dives into these, he, he talks about being gospel blind. Mm. Uh, and he kind of keeps coming back to that in each, each of these sections. But uh, but he, he says, you know, he's talking about an ineffective and unfruitful lives. Um, maybe that's because uh, we're blind to the radical provisions of grace mm. uh, that are ours as a result of God's justifying mercies. And so, like, gosh, man, yeah, I tend to le- live a gospel-blind life. Mm. Yeah. That's there, where the pride comes from. That's, that's where right. the pride right. comes from. And, and he says the doctrine of justification devastates self-glory. Yes. 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 And then he yes. applies Gosh. that in the attitudes of marriage where, where people tend to treat marriage as something that should be self-glorifying. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, if we understand that, if we understand the humility that flows from the fact that we are completely impotent to be able to save ourselves, completely powerless in, in those things, yeah. then, then, our self glory should be devastated. Yeah. And, he, and he's talked about that. We're glory stealers. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was just thinking is how it's interesting to me how much he comes back to that concept yeah. of being glory thieves or uh, we're in a glory war. Right. Uh, <laughs> that we want the glory. Yeah. Yeah. We he, want it. But when we try to store it up, we look as ridiculous as the person that's like, look how high I exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. like, yeah, but you were 35 feet away. It's from on the ceiling. <laughs> and I think he even yeah. uses the word in that illustration. It's embarrassing. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. We get embarrassed for for people who are trying to earn their way or perform their way into the into the God's favor. Yeah. Um, oh man. What we need to understand God's favor is there. It's already present. We don't earn it. It is something that he freely extends through and he's able to do that justly 
um, and maintain his character of holiness because of the work that Christ did at the cross. And so, um, so man, he, he does it. And, and for that, we should be like, like Daniel says, we should be grateful people. Yes. And yet we all know Christians who almost boast in their misery and worry. It's like, it's yes. like you can't have, there are some people who claim Christ as savior, but you can't have a conversation with them without them telling you what they're worried about today. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're, they're so focused on being the martyr in yes, everything yes. right. that they've forgotten that Jesus already died for a us. Self-proclaimed, right, right. self-glory stealing, proclaimed yes. martyr. Yes. So let's let's not let's not converse about. All, I mean, yeah. Are there times when when life happens and there are things that we don't understand or or things that are uncertain? Yeah, that we're always going to have those. But even in those things, let's talk about being grateful. Yeah. You know, let's talk about gratitude. I mean, that's what James ties those two things together. Count it all joy. In other words, be grateful even when trials and persecutions and temptations come your way. Yeah. So, but we, we boast in the worry rather than the gratitude. Let's boast in the gratitude. Let's make much of Jesus, not much of our circumstance. Let's Mm -hmm. make much of him. I, I really gravitated towards, um, two particular for different reasons, but the first one is, um, freedom. Yeah. He goes, here's another beautiful, heart-liberating, life-changing, and joy-producing fruit of the doctrine of justification. Justification by grace through faith really does set you free. Yeah. And then he goes on later to talk about, in that same section, and again, just another area of like how this doctrine was just is just transforming a part of my life I didn't know it reached. But it's like, you know you have lost sight of the gospel of God's grace. And that your relationship is in trouble when fear has become a more powerful motivator than hope. Right. You know your relationship is in trouble when hiding and defending are more regular than honesty and transparency. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he did use a lot of marriage imagery in here. And that was another part of this that was just like, oh, my gosh. But when I was reading this, I was actually thinking about just other relationships around me as well. And was just like how... Am I living in this? You know, how much of your life is motivated by fear where it really matters? Are you living in freedom that is yours because you are a recipient of the blessings of justifying grace? And it, those questions at the end of each of these sections are really, yeah, really striking me. And then like, right. it's hard for me not to think about them right now. And just what relationships am I living this way? Yeah. In my life. Right. Uh, am I living hope? Like is the hope that I can have because of this justifying grace, am I living out of that? Right. Um, and then secondly would be the identity one. And I think that one of the biggest struggles of teenagers today, and maybe not even just today, but maybe teenagers have passed is a sense of identity. And, and, a, and I think in our culture, in a sense of where identity is so confused and there's no basis for their identity other than your truth is your truth and you come up with your identity. This section was just so, so good. Um, and in my thinking of teaching and discipling teenagers was just, there's a section where it goes, teenagers unaware of the present benefits of the gospel of grace that they have been taught. They experience all kinds of anxiety and make all kinds of regrettable decisions in search of identity. And what the particular thing that stuck out to me in this section was the words, teenagers who are unaware of the present benefits of the gospel of grace that they have been taught. Right. And you know why that stuck out to me the most? Is because whenever I've taught this before, it stopped at the, the, the theological position right. of justifying of grace. Yeah. 
and I haven't been able to bridge the present benefits of this doctrine. Right. And so it seems like that that unlocking, that uh, enlightening, I like yeah. that term a lot, yeah. that enlightening of this truth is just like, there's like I just want to teach doctrine to these students right. even more now because right. like there's a like a just a, an enlightened view of this of scripture and and this doctrine that is found in scripture right um i don't know those two sections just really were freeing yeah i i think that the, the theology aspects of this are great and need to be understood we, we need to have those conversations of uh, in theology classes whether it's in the church or in seminary or wherever it might be we need to have those discussions so that we thoroughly understand uh, the doctrine, but when it comes to teaching and preaching, I think that that all of that doctrinal knowledge is is best um, uh, conveyed through practical application of it. Sure. And so, yeah, let's let's even in our preaching and our teaching, let's take some time to get the 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 basics of the truths of of that the foundations of that doctrine. But let's let's spend a little bit more time in that context talking about what that doctrine should mean for you in everyday life. Let's bring it into the present. Let's not just not make it some abstract concept and let's not put it off into some future existence. Let's bring it into the here and now then um, because what will happen is as we begin living our lives, applying what little bit of the doctrine we understand, knowing how it should direct our lives, that's going to, that's going to motivate us to want to come back and study that doctrine a little bit more deeply. Then we can have those classroom conversations where we pick it apart and we kind of figure out what it is, but, but to to try to pick it apart and figure out what it is. And you're not even living out the stuff that you already know to be true. That's going to be a a fruitless and futile exercise. Um, Trying to understand theology without any kind of application at all is, is just pointless. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, let me. I'm going to go back and make a couple of comments about the freedom section that, that you said because that really stuck with me as well. Uh, the the fear part kind of plays into what we talk about how Christians boast about being about worrying. Worry is always motivated by fear. That's why Jesus could say with all confidence, "Don't worry." And that's why Paul would write to Timothy in the midst of, of, of maybe even a very difficult pastorate is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. We are fearful Christians don't advance the kingdom. Yeah. Any more than a, a Christian, any more than a, a soldier fighting in a battle, uh, you know, f- there is going to be an element of fear there. But 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 fear will not motivate them to move the move the line forward, you know. Yeah. And so, um, so so we we need to we need to put fear in its proper perspective um, and and understand that that um, fear is driven by uh, by an identity outside of Christ. But in Christ, that fear is to be dissolved. Um, justifying grace frees us from that fear, but it also frees us from two things that are very prominent in our culture. See, I think when it comes to humility and grace, or humility and gratitude, I think those are things that that believers within themselves really need to wrestle with. Um, I think that these we wrestle with ourselves in some of these things as well. But I, I think that that freedom and identity uh, speak well into our worldview with regard to the culture. Yeah. Uh, because we are free from, in Christ, we are truly free from guilt and shame. Yeah. And in our culture, our culture has devised methods that they say can free us from guilt and shame, but really in effect are powerless to do so. Yeah. Now, now they, can, they can to some extent be successful in freeing people from shame just by making everything destigmatized. Yep. 
if, if you, if society in general can decide that this particular behavior is no longer shameful, then they can get rid of the shame. The problem is, is society has no way to get rid of the guilt. Yeah. We can, we can absolve ourselves of guilty consciences, but if we understand, again, this is why Paul uses legalistic terms. If we understand justification, then, and we understand justification to be our standing with God, there is nothing that society can produce that will change our standing with God. Only Christ can do that. So society might, might uh, relieve us from the shame of our choices, but it can't come anywhere close to absolving us of our guilt yeah, of those choices right. that violate God's nature and character. Um, and so the doctrine of justification drives our, our understanding of freedom that way. And, and, and how we live out that freedom every day, not just, again, drives us back to gratitude. We are free from guilt. We are free from shame. Now let's start living that way. Yeah. Let's live like that. Cause that's what, that's what Paul says, man, walk in a, walk in a way that is worthy of your calling in Christ. Walk in a way that is worthy of the salvation that he has, he has given you. Walk in a way that demonstrates a gratitude and a joy for what you know you could never do for yourself, but Christ has done completely for you. Yeah. And, and I love Paul Tripp's. I will definitely be using this as how I define my identity now. As he says, in Christ, forgiven, adopted, and eternally loved by the Father is who we are and who we will be forever. That is exactly how I will describe being a new creation. Or what is, students, what is now your purpose in life? Or what is your identity? Identity. Your identity is that you are forgiven, you are adopted and that you are eternally loved by the Father. Like that is, the way that he unpacks this is so rich. And and what I've realized is I say often that the most important concept that a new believer or even mature believers can really come to understand and get their minds around would be the concept of what it means to be in Christ. Now here's what what, what, what I've learned in this reading and in this process and in this discussion is how closely related the concept of being in Christ is to the doctrine of justification. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because, because I tended to put yes. in Christ in our sanctification. In sanctification. Wow. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And, and so Same. this brought me back, this brought me back to, 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 to how wow. important this thing really is. So yeah, I'm, Glad I wasn't the only one that that kind of yeah. light bulb went no, off. Oh yeah, that's, on, no, on that's so, good. Yeah. yeah, I would have <laughs> situated really all seven of these things in sanctification. Right, so not right. And and I think they, you know, they do. There's a place for them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They, but I, yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> because even even you know, it, because we've always considered justification positional and the sanctification like process. Yeah. Like one is position, the other is process. Um, but but really, um, both. Our position in both our process. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that that, um, and I can just say, you know, in, in just a couple of sentences, the the idea of your our potential changes when our potential is in Christ. Yeah, um, and, and know this: um, we we grow up in a world that wants to talk about living up to your potential mm-hmm. um, and how you're going to reach your potential. Well, what happens when you you get thirty years down the road and you realize? You've reached it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what else? Yeah. I, I'm like, what else? What else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Ooh. so what we need to understand is, is Christ doesn't just see us for our potential. Christ comes into our lives to expand our potential into eternity. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so I think, I think potential is good and values. I've always talked about values in terms of priorities, what we value most. I like, 
I think I'm going to shift my language from priorities to to values because wow. values what we hold dear will drive our priorities. We say it all the time. People are going to do what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and so it's not a matter of prioritizing a schedule. It's a matter of what, what you value you most. <laughs> and when you can shift that language, then then maybe that makes a a, a, a bigger difference or a better impact on on how we view all those other peripheral things that come along. Well, with that. yes. And he says we are not just forgiven, not just adopted, not just eternally loved, but we are also given in the presence of God within us new potential for a brand new way of living there is no christian life without the spirit of the living christ dwelling right. within us absolutely and like we have new potential because of the doctrine of justification right right <laughs> it's just blowing my mind yeah yeah so i i think i think that's good and i think he he does a good job like i i said he uses uh the context of a of a marriage and some marriage counseling to walk through each of these issues uh and and but it can be applied to such a, such greater lengths uh, in every aspect of our lives and, and how we are raising our children and the grace that we're to show to them. Um, uh, so uh, and, and even even in the context of of our church and the grace that we extend to each other um, and, and in our denomination, uh, in the grace that we're, we extend to each other. Um, you know, I, I just think that 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 we take this idea of justification and it, and it just keeps it keeps expanding outward and concentric circles in every every sphere of influence in our, our lives. So um, he didn't close this one with the hymn, though. So I'm going to rely know, on you guys yeah. to come up with uh, no, something like to think about. One. <laughs> <laughs> Death was arrested is one that I keep coming back to as I was thinking about this, just thinking about the concept of freedom. But but uh, oh, your grace so free washes over me. Uh, and then out of that, we're free. Forever we're free. That's a chant part. That's my favorite part. <laughs> I bet. It is, dude. <laughs> the last time we sang it, me, Kyle, and Toby, bro, we just go, ah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. I do like the way he ends this chapter, though. May we remember justifying mm-hmm. grace and in remembering continue to be transformed by how deep it is, how wide it is, and how it reaches every aspect of our lives. Yeah. So good. Yeah. In his section on values that Mike was talking about a little bit earlier, there's a couple of questions that every Christian would give a resounding no to. But I wish in moment-to-moment, day-by-day life, I lived as if. I wish my life gave a resounding no to these questions. Yeah, reflected that no. Could there possibly, talking about the gospel of Jesus, could there possibly be any treasure of more value than this? Is anything that exists, any possession, any person, any experience, any power, or any success more valuable than the justifying mercy of the Lord and all of the rich blessings uh, that flow from it? Wow. I just want my life to be a living reflection of the no yeah. <laughs> to those questions. That's exactly. You know, that's exactly right. Well, we'll end it there for today. I mean, there's, again, with every single one of these, there's so much more we could say. So We could go so much longer, but we'll end it there for now. Thanks for uh, joining us for Coffee Rants and All Things Christian. Don't forget about the form on our website where you can send us questions, pbclc.com slash podcast. Follow or subscribe to us and please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next time.